This is the Jordan Innovation Lab podcast. In the coming months, you will meet some of the students, teachers, and alumni who make Jordan High School such a special part of the Durham community. We hope you enjoy their stories. My name is Stuart Albright, and this is the first episode of the Jordan Innovation Lab podcast, and I'm really, really excited to have on here um, a young man who is no longer just a young man, as he's, I think, 34. <laughs> is that right, Josh? Yeah, 34 on the 23rd. Uh, so. Josh Gornto, a former student at Jordan High School. School. One thing we're going to be doing with this podcast is uh, not only profiling current Jordan students and staff, but uh, former students who have gone on to interesting careers just to get a perspective about what their life experiences were like, how they got into the, the jobs that they have, and um, what advice they might have for, for young people thinking about uh, different kinds of careers. And Josh has got a, a really interesting story to tell us. So Josh, I appreciate you being on here. Yeah, no, I'm uh, like we talked before. Uh, awesome. I'm so happy that I can sit down and see your face and kind of rekindle some fond memories of Jordan High School. Yeah, well, why don't, let's, let's start with that. So why don't you talk about maybe um, what your years were like at Jordan? Yeah, so again, you got me going down memory lane. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and paint, paint the picture. But I remember kind of the transformation of Jordan. I was, you know, showing up freshman year, uh, skinny, shy, uh, skinny, shy kid, kind of, you know, kept to myself. And uh, by the end there, I came into my own, uh, you know, had a lot of confidence about me, had uh, kind of some goals set from athletics and academics. That that whole process, that was, you know, from freshman to senior year, you know, I'd like to say sophomore year, I think I started getting my confidence more with getting on the varsity football team, um, having not played, you know, I was on the team with JV, but I didn't play a snap. I don't, I don't think I ever played in a game on JV <laughs> to then go and play on varsity. Um, and then, you know, continue that on to junior year, kind of start getting my college, like really want to go play college football, driving me to have the grades, um, go on the visits and then senior year going on those visits um, you know, kind of getting my interest, taking the creative writing class, which then I took a couple courses in college with as well. Um, kind of like discovering my personality and like how I like to have, you know, laugh and joke around, you know, in, in your class, especially, I'm sure you remember all the, uh, the stories I would write and, uh, things like that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, this, this small, shy, skinny kid, you know, came a, became a college football player and, you know, getting decent grades. You know, I wasn't the dumb jock um, that I think some of the classmates in the creative writing class thought all of us were just stupid jocks that were taking some, uh, some writing classes because it was one of the coaches. So it was like an easy grade. Yeah. That was um, the uh, my first memory of that, that first day of class it was the first creative writing class I'd, I'd ever taught. And one of the students saw that there were like four or five football players in the class. And she said, Something to the effect out loud of, um, are these guys in here by mistake? And, yeah. uh, and that kind of like, I was like, oh gosh, what am I in for with this, uh, this class? But I think it, it, it all worked out, obviously. Um, I had a mm-hmm. great experience, but um, I think you were able to kind of show them a different side of what an athlete could be. Yeah. I and mean, then again, it was, I would never think that I would be a team captain or I would be 
comfortable joking around in front of an entire school doing pep rallies or you know um, just in any of the classes and then I think that really was the leaping point then that I kind of came into my own as I've said kind of discover my personality discover uh, make some lifelong friends and really just those connections with Jordan every time I drive by when I'm home um, visiting my parents it's always you know, fond memories, seeing the football field, seeing, you know, always checking in on how Jordan football is doing wherever I am in the world. You know, I think a couple of deployments, I'm still like, it's the different time zone or I'm in the future. I'm like looking back, like, oh, is it like, how did Jordan do? Um, how's that going? Yeah, well, and that's, and we're going to get to that in a minute, kind of where you, you've, yes. you've certainly had a, a, probably an interesting adult career so far over the past decade plus of traveling, traveling all over the world. But before we get to that, talk just uh, briefly about your college experience. You went to Bucknell, played football at, at Bucknell, um, a really, really strong academic school as well, really difficult, um, primarily uh, kind of engineering and technical, would you say is kind of their focus? Yeah, they have a they have a solid business school engineering. I went in pre-engineering, and then uh, I got terrified of the <laughs> workload of having my college, you know, the the uh, athletics of, you know, forty plus hours a week, and then looking at my schedule, seeing lab this, lab that, like this lecture, that lecture. I just, I I panicked, so I was like, nope, I'm not doing engineering. But I I had always loved. Uh, math there, uh, going through school sciences, um, basically everything. I, you know, I, I, I feel like I did start, I really enjoyed learning and uh, at Jordan and it was something that I challenged myself and I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a pretty good uh, academic and uh, athlete. And then I think the Bucknell of the getting to Bucknell is kind of like, whoa, this is, this is a lot harder. This is a new challenge. Um, and I think sometimes I, I got a, a little timid right there, right at the beginning of Bucknell, where I was just like, oh, can I do this? Um, and then just kind of, again, taking little bit by little bit and developing these working habits that I, you know, I kind of developed in, in high school of, you know, I think what I left out was actually accomplishing goals and like setting out um, to get a scholarship, to play college football, to have a successful football program to be one of the top football players in the area, um, getting voted on that by the coaches in the Durham area for that. Like, I think that was, I was hitting my stride and I was, you know, all that hard work that, you know, Bruce Roselle and I used to run the Duke stadium stairs on the weekend and like that stuff paying off to have the teams that we did and the success to then go get a scholarship and play it at a one double a school Bucknell and get that academic um, institution that you know now has helped me in my career so far as well and what was that like going from kind of uh you know being incredibly successful by your senior year of high school then then going up to a whole different level what and uh, it's almost sounds like it's, it's a little bit like you starting over again like your freshman year in high school feeling like you it it yeah. is oh man and that's life Oh, the, and like the parallels of that same thing, that same kind of, all right, I, I tell some of my flight students now, it's like, all right, you, you know, you're, you're the little fish in the pond when you start here, and then you're the big fish, and then we put you in a lake, and then you start, you know, you're the biggest fish in the lake, and then when they leave their, you know, their training squadron of their future aircraft, then they're in the ocean. So it's the same thing every time it's like, oh, I've mastered Jordan, I am one of the top dogs 
And then I go, you know, eight hours north to Pennsylvania, which I had never been. Different, different culture, different kinds of people um, away from, you know, a lot of my friends would go to Carolina or Duke or ECU is where I wanted to go. Like I was, I was going to be a pirate. And then I was like, all right, now I'm a Bucknell bison. Yeah, I couldn't come home whenever I wanted. I was, I was there and I did so much growing up because, you know, I can't take my laundry home. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, like my parents luckily had come, come up to a lot of the games, which was great. And I got to see them, but it was a lot of growing up happened at Bucknell. So, um, so by the time you get to your senior year at Bucknell, did you have somewhat of an idea what your adult trajectory would be? Like what kind of profession you wanted to get into? Because you didn't obviously <laughs> jump right into that. You came back and, and helped at Jordan a little bit. Yes, so well, why don't you yeah, talk a little so. bit about maybe that transition from graduating from Bucknell to like the next chapter of your life? Yeah, so I think around junior year. So, I mean, from early on, I wanted to join some kind of military. And then I, it was, I was just always fascinated with the military and service of either, you know, civil service, any of that stuff. Junior year, I kind of committed to I wanted to do something in the military. So that was in the running. I wanted to be a pilot. That was what I wanted to do. So Air Force, uh, Air Force uh, Navy and Marine Corps. What what was it that drew you to that? Do you think? um, I think aviation because my dad was uh, he worked at U.S. Airways, so we we flew a lot. Just um, he wasn't a pilot, just ticket counter uh, manager in that position. But just being around planes for some reason, like it's going to sound weird, but smelling jet fuel and like (laughs) being around, feeling the aircraft take off for some reason, like I was just hooked. I was like, I want to do something. Um, with aviation or some something with the military so junior year I kind of committed started talking to each of them air force was out uh, ever talking one of my family friends who was a lieutenant colonel in the marine corps found out looking back he had kind of conditioned me to join the marine corps from like <laughs> getting us like shovels which we call e-tools it's like a collapsible shovel to like knives guns like it was all his plan and it, it worked <laughs> out he got a recruit uh and me but junior year, we started kind of asking like, hey, what's what's what? Um, the Marine Corps recruiter and the the gunnery sergeant um, that was my point of contact, just, I mean, just an outstanding Marine and just super responsive. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. Um, so that's kind of junior into senior year. I couldn't do what they call platoon leaders course, which is I call it now, it's like summer camp for Marines. You do about two, six weeks of uh, OCS, Officer Candidate School. And then when you graduate, you get your commission. Mm-hmm. So there's, you could do two summers or you do one 10 uh, week um, summer. So I couldn't do that because I was 230 pounds and uh, I couldn't run three miles to save my life. And my coaches did not want me to do that either. So I had to wait. So that was where um, you know, all my buddies are either going to New York city or getting their jobs. And I'm like, Hey, I'm moving back in with my parents. All right. What job can I do? That's going to show some leadership. Cause that's what some of the, the OSO, the officers, um, selection officer at, uh, Raleigh, the Raleigh OSO office was saying, uh, Hey, like any more leadership experience. Cause I'd say I'm Eagle scout, played college football. He's like, well, what about like lately? So um, Jordan, you know, at the time, North Carolina, I don't know if it's still a thing. You just need a college degree to be a substitute teacher. Yep, that's still the case. 
so that's, I mean, it's awesome. So I, I did that. Um, my first class was a Spanish speaking Spanish class. And I remember the students saying like, do you even speak Spanish? And I was like, no, but I know how to tell you how to do a worksheet. <laughs> so, um, and that tied in really well with, with football. Cause again, fresh out of college football player, um, wanted to give back. And, uh, I was writing some of these, some of these notes down and I thought it was, uh, the amount of change that happens when you leave high school and you come back four years later, I was like, Oh my God. Like, uh, what would you say was the, for you, the biggest thing that was different? Um, well, I think cell phones, cell phones became such a problem in four years. Like, you know, I had my little, like, uh, and then I got my long-term teacher or my long-term sub position there at Jordan. Cause at first I was just doing here, there classes. And then I got some freshman Academy ones. So I had the, the same students over and over again. And it was, you know, it's just like you look around and people's eyes are down at their desk. And I'm like, hey, guys, I was just doing that last year in class and I'm doing it better because at least I'm making eye contact with the teacher. Like I, it's obviously you're texting, like, give me your phone. So I thought it was really interesting getting tweeted about. I think I got tweeted about, <laughs> which I was just like, what is going on? Like so this uh, was right at the very beginning of, of Twitter when you were. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. So, yeah. 2010, 2011, having tweets about what the first class did and the other students talking about I'm like what how's this going what is what is happening right being called like mr sub i'm like whoa whoa, whoa it's coach g that was that was the one rule i said i people would you know i do the, the old dad joke like you know mr gornto is my dad you can call me coach g so i was coach g because everyone struggles with saying gornto but uh so you helped out with the football program i got to got to out. work with you on the other end rather than coaching yes. you, coaching so, with you yeah it was that was that was crazy to then again start coaching share that passion and then see it from the other side like wait how does the how does the football field get painted before a game like oh it's all the coaches <laughs> it's you know it's and the to see the uh the amount of time that's put in um, especially you, I, you know, having, I think second, you had your second, kid, uh, my wife saying? was pregnant with our second and I had a two-year-old at that time. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, and I mean, the football season, like I didn't have, I mean, I was, you know, living in my parents' house, you know, I think I would do like a, I would either run into, to coach and then run home. And then, you know, all the film study, all the prep, everything else is that I was the young guy on there, the, the staff per se, and just kind of soaking up. The coolest thing was that showed me my passion for teaching. That that moment there where I was just like, I think it was, I had a, fre the freshman academy had a project where you write a letter to your mentor. And um, it might've been Troy Day. I don't know if you remember Troy oh, Day. Yeah. He, uh, he wrote, a, I think he wrote a letter to, his someone his grandmother or something and she was just tickled by it and i think someone wrote jk rowling and actually got a response back hmm. and it was like seeing seeing the light bulbs go off and seeing that what i now call is the warrior's reward of you know that's that's the coolest part like it doesn't matter how much money you make it's like that i you never work a day in your life when you see the light switch go off in kids kids eyes and they like get it and they grasp it and then the, they reach out to you years later, kind of like what we're doing. It's just like, it's just, uh, it's, it's unreal. It's something that you can't, you can't buy. So how do you def so, uh, define that for me a little bit? The the warrior's reward. What is that a term that you, that's kind of, uh, bandied around a little bit in the military? Yeah. Uh, one of my commanding officers brought that up as the, you know, the, 
we're servant leadership as the Marine Corps officer is you, we are here to serve our Marines. So I have, when I have Marines under my charge, like I'm responsible for taking care of them, not the opposite. Like I'm servant, servant leadership, whatever they need, I'm, I'm helping them out. And then the, the warriors of war is he used that. I kind of use that even now while I'm in flight school teaching is when someone reaches out over an email or calls you up out of the blue or sends a text message, it's like, Hey, sir, I remember when, you know, you were correcting me on this, like, uh, like, thank you so much. Just seeing them and having them reach out and like care enough to send me an email or something. It's like, you don't have to do that. You don't have like that. That takes something inside of them that was like, no, he made a mark on me. I want to, I want to make sure he's doing okay or something Mm -hmm. like that. So that's the warrior's reward is something that that's kind of the, the gist of it. So you come back to Jordan, work as a uh, long-term sub, all this while trying to get your weight down. I mean, because you what, you weren't overweight. You were like 230 of muscle. Yeah, yeah, I was not. And the problem with the whole delay was because I had shoulder surgery at Bucknell for my AC joint. So I was just, I continued to run. I continued to try and take time off because the big thing is, you know, you got your your kind of application and the, the physical fitness test, the PFT. And the Raleigh Oso is highly competitive. I don't know, it's just because it's the triangle. So you got all kinds of universities with these, you know, new grads that want to go in. And I wasn't, I was going in competing against all the people that had graduated college, not I'm in college. I want platoon leaders course or something like that. So I had to compete against guys that maybe went out to Wall Street and like, yeah, it's not for me. I'm going to go be a Marine officer here's my resume. You know, I just led a fortune 500 company. It's like, Oh wow. Like, all right. Yeah. Please join the Marine Corps. I'm like, I'm a substitute teacher in college, uh, in uh, college football, high school now coach. Um, you know, I want to shop. So how would so, you describe that experience of going? So you then apply and you, and you, you've passed the, uh, the physical fitness test. That's the first step, right? Yeah. So, and then it was just, it was constantly just running a physical fitness test, trying to improve scores, trying to get my application. Cause the first round, the first one I was up for was kind of six months after I had, I had gone home from Bucknell's. Um, it was like the January class and they're like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't make it. And I was kind of like, Ooh, that was a, that was a blow to my ego a little bit. Cause I was like, wait a second. I, I always accomplish everything. Like, what are you talking about? having like but then they kind of gave me like the warm and fuzzy was like hey it's because we need to get your shoulder checked out Hmm. so i was like okay so i went up to quantico stayed in a hotel overnight woke up the next morning and like did a 30 minute exercise with this like physical therapist and she's like yep you're fine Hmm. then it took about you know it took about a year for that to get signed off and then you know, I forget when it was, but I got the call from the gunnery sergeant that was just like, hey, you're in. And I, I can remember where I was, you know, in my living room, my parents' house and just like, oh, man, I just want to shout. <laughs> I was just so excited because I'm 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 on because I was at the time. I think my I think my girlfriend dumped me because I was, you know, a substitute <laughs> teacher living in my parents' house away from her who was at Bucknell. You know, she's like, you need to drop the Marine Corps. Like, you need to figure out something else. This isn't for you. And I was like, uh, so that didn't go over well. (laughs) (laughs) So got there and then started officer candidate school in October of 2011. So does that look in in many ways like basic training would for non-officer trainees? 
So officer candidate school was different because the entire time they were trying to fail you. Mm. Whereas boot camp, and there's nothing, they're both hard. And it's both, it's kind of like the the right, the crucible in a sense for it's what you hear for the um the boot camp for Marines. So our 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 hard part is OCS because when we go through their testing, our decision making, our leadership, and they're trying to weed you out. They want you to fail and see how you're gonna react. Are you gonna quit? Are you just gonna be like, this isn't for me? And it was crazy to see. I mean, the first you get there and the day one, you run another physical fitness test and you have guys that either psych themselves out or like can't complete it. And I'm scratching my head because I'm like, hey, man, I just lost like 30 pounds from football till now. Like, how are you guys not ready for a PFT? Um, and these are all guys that have uh, up to have passed intensive. Passed. Past they pass all yeah pass all that they're in the, the best shape of your life and you get there and then it's just I don't know it's just the magic of officer candidate school you couldn't pay me to go back through it nope <laughs> you go through once you're like that's that's enough for me and um, how many and how long was that officer candidate school 10, 10 weeks okay so you do ten weeks and I went again I think I showed up around you know one hundred ninety five pounds and by the end I was one hundred like eighty three and my parents were just like man you look drastically different the sleep deprivation the and again it's it's nothing like it's it's not like navy seal training like buds it's it is hard and you're rigorously tested and i think it was with the officers nighttime was normally to sleep but nighttime was when you had time to prep that was the most tired i've ever been in my life mm. if i like an example is we were we were out around doing like a a little exercise or talking to a, one of the instructors and if i stopped shaking my leg I was standing up. If I stopped moving my leg, I fell asleep and hit the guy in front of me. Um, it was just next level, uh, just intense. And it was great looking back, you know, the, the things now that I know, um, and it's all games. It's just a constant test and it's to push your mind past what your body can do. And, um, you know, you come out on the other side as a Marine officer, um, which is a really big accomplishment. Um, I think that the difference between OCS and boot camp is boot camp. The fastest way to get through boot camp is finish. Like once you sign on the dotted line, the you, the Marine Corps has you. Mm -hmm. And the best way to get through is you finish boot camp. So their stressors are they're getting guys in shape. They're but the like kicking out that that normally doesn't happen unless there's something egregious. It is, and it's it's just to get them enlisted side is obedience to orders. And they try and teach that to the officer candidates. And it's funny, one of the one of the instructors made fun of us because he was he was uh, a drill instructor for enlisted for boot camp first. And when he came to officers, he was like, officers the worst, because I yelled a recruit is what they're called for enlisted. I yelled a recruit to go get a sea bag, and the recruit runs over as fast as he can, he grabs a sea bag and comes back. I yell at an officer candidate to go get a sea bag. The officer candidate goes over and then starts asking, like, well, why am I getting the sea bag? Like, what are we about to do in the sea bag? Wait, should I get two sea bags? Does he want to, does he want me to bring it back to him like fast or slow? What what is about to happen with the sea bag? What should I do to prevent this? Yeah. So that was like a good summary. It's just like strict obedience to orders is what happens in boot camp. And then officers is just kind of testing your decision making and leadership. So once you're in the middle of that, the thick of those 10 weeks, is that when you kind of made the decision that you wanted to be a helicopter pilot? There's 
aviation contracts and there's ground contracts when you sign up for OCS and when you get accepted. The wait list, I would say, to get an air contract of the Raleigh OSO was about two to three years. And those wow. are getting snatched up by all the people that were currently in school, you know, state, Carolina, East Carolina. It's like, hey, you want to come be a Marine pilot? You know, you finish college and do two summers, you got an air contract. So that was kind of a recruiting tool. I went in as a ground contract. So I knew I had to get through the uh, get through OCS. And then at the basic school, which is all Marine officers go through officer candidate school and then the basic school, TBS. So that's kind of where our, with a blend of boot camp for us, because that's where we do our rifle qual, we do some more leadership. And based off how we're scored academically, physical fitness, all these kinds of tests, you basically get ranked out and then you select MOSs, military occupational specialties uh, after that. So as soon as we got to the basic school, you know, and they kind of had like, hey, who wants to be, who would like to be a pilot? Who would like to put in for a competitive air contract? I, I put my hand up and I had, again, calling my uncle Jack, but Uncle Jack told me um, he was a lieutenant colonel who was in charge of recruiting, um, and he was actually at the Raleigh OSO office. So he was like, hey, don't worry, go on ground. There's plenty of air contracts. What sometimes, you know, fate works out. The class before me, there was one pilot and one NFO spot for, you know, a, a class size around like three, I think three or 400 wow. of us. Um, I looked out, and there was, there was eight pilot and one NFO. Um, the old flight officer. It's like the backseater, the gooses of the gotcha. world. I had studied for the test because you have to, you know, the uh, whatever aviation test you have to take and you have to get a certain amount. It's like a precursor. So they accept you into that. So I, I had studied before and then I just took it while I was at TBS. I did well enough that I was in the running. Some of the guys that put their hand up found out they were colorblind or all this other stuff. <laughs> Luckily made it through and I I actually had selected to become an artillery officer. And then they announced to all of us the um, what we were gonna then, we were gonna go be pilots. So I was again, just ecstatic. You know, I was, I was on edge cause I was like, cool. I love like artillery officer been awesome. Um, I actually had a Bucknell teammate, Will Carney, who was, um, he went, he went through OCS as well. He was our kicker. And then he was an artillery officer. I was actually picking his brain too before I joined or went to OCS and kind of got all his scoop as well. So that's where I, that's where I actually got my air contract um, at the basic school. I, I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to fly. I actually wanted to fly the Osprey. That's the real reason why I was like, I'm going to fly the Osprey. And then those plans kind of changed when I got to flight school. Well, what is for someone who's not military inclined like myself, the Osprey is, yes. is what is the that? Osprey is the tilt rotor. So the MV 22. So that's the one that has the, the props that change from helicopter mode to airplane mode. Gotcha. If I say any of that and you need me to clarify, please do. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep the acronyms. In yeah, the, no, that's in the fine. Terms. That's fine. Um, so you originally were wanting to do that kind of a helicopter hybrid. Yeah. Plane. So I wanted, I wanted the Osprey was just so cool. And North Carolina, you know, going down to the beach, you see them flying over all the time and all the, you know, the Marine Corps is heavily, a heavy presence there. Um, we always go down to Emerald Isle. So always seeing them like, and then again, my uncle was always like, you know, Marine stuff, giving us sweatshirts, everything. So again, nice little, 
nice little recruiter in his retirement. So instead of that that um, craft, what did you wind up uh, training to fly? So and then so I'll I'll kind of talk to the pipeline of uh, flight school as well. So all that training was in Quantico, Virginia. We then then you know move down to Pensacola, Florida, which I am currently now. So start off, you do initial flight screening, which is well, you get down to the pool. And actually, when I got down to not the pool, but the uh, kind of the holding area is what we call the the, the pool of uh, Marine students waiting to class up for flight training. So you go through IFS, initial flight screening. That is, it used to be you go out to civilian flight schools all around the Pensacola area. You get about 14 hours and then you do a solo. So you'd take up like Cessnas or uh, Piper Cherokees, Warriors, and then you'd, you'd go and fly. And that was the way the, the military, the Navy Marine Corps is like, hey, if you get airsick, we're not going to spend millions of dollars on you, <laughs> training you or like, hey, aviation is a beast because, you know, everyone, either if you come there with prior flight time, you, you know, normally you can just breeze through flight school and have a lot of fun. The rest of us are just like, oh, my God, I'm doing this for the first time. Like, what do you mean? Like, what what is how, like aircraft? Like, what is this? Like fuselage? What is that? So, uh, but for different kinds of air, uh, helicopters is the basic principles of flying it. I mean, does it translate over from one to the other? Yes. So in the way, so the army does it different where you don't fly fixed wing. So planes, um, they just start off in helicopters to begin with. The Navy is what, again, Naval Flight School trains Marines, Coast Guard, and Navy. So you start off fixed wing. So after initial flight screening, you actually go into API, uh, advanced, uh, advanced pre-flight indoctrination. And that's highly academic. So that's like your ground school. You learn about weather, aerodynamics, engines, navigation, and then you do swimming. So they test you, making sure you can swim a mile in a flight suit and all this other stuff. Once you do that, then you go on to primary, which is all fixed wing and you fly there. So from Pensacola, I then went to Corpus Christi, Texas, because there's two places you can do primary. You can do it at Pensacola, up in Milton, where I am now, um, teaching helicopters, or you go to Corpus Christi, which has fixed wing as well. So went down to Corpus, that took me about a year of fixed wing time, got about a hundred hours of, and then that's where you're doing aerobatics, um, formation flying, um, instruments, all this kinds of stuff there. From there you select, based off your grades, what you wanna fly. So the top performers, the, the high performers, high grades, maybe had prior flight experience, they normally go jets or uh, C-130, so the big multi-engine for the, for the Marine Corps and the Navy has other types as well. Uh, or you can select Ospreys and then helicopters. So I did not do really well. I worked really hard, <laughs> but I had some failures. Um, and that's what flight school, I think the difference of flight school, and why I say flight school is the hardest thing I've ever done, is because I feel like school, you know, you're, you're tested at the end, you know, you get tests periodically. Flight school was a test every day, an evaluation every day. And it made you question yourself, like um, you're constantly evaluated for your military appearance, getting out of the plane, you say one wrong thing, it can snowball. So I was just a stress ball. I just 
overprepared, studied. My uh, my wife remembers we'd go on walks, and I would I would hold I would give her notes. I'm like, all right, quiz me while we walk. <laughs> um, there's plenty of pictures of photo albums where she's got a handful of notes, and we're walking like my dog. It was just like, oh my gosh, I was such a stress. When I guess from the military perspective, they're thinking this is a multi-million dollar uh, aircraft, and we're going to put this person yeah. up in there. They better know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So primary then selected helicopters again because I, I did not do well i was actually so to anyone that listens to this you know pure hard work and dedication and just not quitting um got me through i had some failures in the aircraft but at the end of the day i didn't have any ready room which we call ready room on sat so basically like the pre-test to go fly so you'd you'd set up your briefing space you'd brief all these discussion items with the instructor if that was good then we'd go out and fly if you you didn't know things and then they started to dig and you didn't really set yourself up you'd ready room unsat which is you know you get a few of those and you're basically kicked out of the flight program so like i said you're constantly evaluated from you're out in town and someone sees you like doing something you're not supposed to and they can recognize your face you're under scrutiny you go into the briefing space you spell their name wrong on the board you're under scrutiny you uh you know you don't polish your boots Hey, why aren't your boots polished? You're under scrutiny. So it it uh it was the hardest thing I've ever done because normally I just relied on like athletic talent, um, hard work, and that sometimes wasn't enough for me with the uh, with the plane and just learning something completely new. So we're talking a multi-year process just yes. to learn this craft, and yes. you could get years into it and still fail. Yes. And- so yeah, after primary, went to advanced. So I selected helicopters, came back to Pensacola. So again, that's that's a one, two, third move in probably a couple of years. So bouncing back and forth back in Pensacola, um, where I was learning how to fly the helicopters. So you start off again, same same kind of concept. You know, you build everything builds on top of each other to the culminating point of normally you do a solo for each of them. So solo and fixed wings, solo and rotors. And then you learn a few mission skills and then you're out the door and you get your here in advanced training. You, that's when you get your wings. So that's when you made it. That's like your diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they kind of call it, it's like a kind of a master's, but the primary is kind of an undergraduate and master's program is advanced training. So um, for me, it was helicopters and, and finishing here again, I had some stumbles and um, again, got to the end of the program and what we call our, our NSS, um, our basically like the grade point average, I was slightly below the minimum. And I had to go talk to colonels, lieutenant colonels and majors on why I should, why I should continue on in the pipeline. Hmm. And again, standing there, I, I did everything that I could. And this kind of ties back into Bucknell where, you know, I didn't have the kind of career I wanted to by my senior year. And you know, the college football programs are such a business. And that senior year, I finally just like, well, I'm going to do this for me and I'm going to have fun. And that's where I kind of tied it back into aviation. There, I was like, well, I've gotten this far. I need to relax and have fun and I'll do better. And if not, it's not for me. You know, I kind of threw my hands up, like, you know, kind of like Jesus take the wheel of, of this thing like I've, I've done everything in my power to set myself up for success if i don't make it that's okay so for those of us and this is most people in the world who have never had the experience of uh, being at the the helm of a helicopter flying it like 
paint us a picture real quick of what that, like the your first solo flight, what that feels like to have to be flying this monstrous, huge and very dangerous thing if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So the uh, the trainers that we fly um, currently the the Bell two hundred six that we call them TH fifty seven Jet Ranger, very safe aircraft, super safe, but. The, uh, and it's interesting too, because your, your on-wing is your basically your tutor for that first block of flights. The first time you try and hover, I liken it to juggling chainsaws on a unicycle, basically, because um, you're, you're just, you're having to keep your balance because the rotor disc basically is providing all the thrust that lifts you off the ground. So any tilt in that rotor disc causes the aircraft to then drift left or right. And the new helicopter pilots don't pick up on that. And I don't know if you, if you learned how to drive stick shift and your left foot, you know, learning how to use your left foot, it doesn't work. Learning how to hover in a helicopter is like your left foot learning stick shift. So like stalling out, that was just a constant in the aircraft. You know, we're, we're sweating bullets, you know, moving the controls all over the place and the instructor puts their finger right on the cyclic, which is the, the center control there. Basically think of it as a steering wheel for your car and just goes, Hey man, you just got to relax. And boop, and the aircraft just stops all violent motion. You're like, no way that, what, what did you just do? So it's just a matter of like, you just build up this instinct from just hours upon hours of flying mm -hmm. and you can really almost like it like becomes a part of you. You can feel it moving. Yes. Yeah. You, so it's, it's all about picking up on little drift um, and it's moving your eyes and all that stuff. And now again, coming back now as an instructor and I get to see the flip side again from player to coach at Jordan to now flight student to flight instructor it's great. And having all my struggles, I think that's what's made me so much better of a uh, instructor pilot here um, because I'm able to teach to that level and understand like you kind of break the ice of like, you know, hey, man, I barely made it out of here and hard work pays off. So, you know, kind of tell them stories and make them understand like because the military aspect is everyone thinks everyone is just the best. And you're, you're you know, you're constantly looking at yourself like, well, they're doing it better than me. Um, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm the weak link. Who knows? So that's how my brain works. So you um, go from graduating from flight school and you didn't immediately go into being an instructor. What was your path like before you kind of went into being yes, an instructor? Yes. I know. Sorry. I'm jumping all over. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so from flight school, I selected to fly the UH one, uh, Y Yankee Huey, um, it's one of the skid platforms, uh, in the Marine Corps. So the basic choices you have leaving flight school are, uh, 53s, CH 53s, AH one, uh, Zulus, Z's, and then, uh, one Yankees, which is what I flew. So it's also and called the, a Hue Huey is like the nickname yes, for that. Yes, Huey. Yeah. The, the nickname for the UH one Y is Venom, but. Anyone you talk to doesn't want to call it the Venom. You just want to call it the Huey. Okay. Um, so, you know, if struggle, if anyone's struggling with picture, that's basically like any Vietnam kind of movie where you see like air cab moving around, like kind of the front of it kind of looks like a grasshopper in a sense. That, that is the Huey. Um, awesome aircraft, but, you know, and I was just tickled because, again, I didn't know. I finished the flight program, and I didn't know if I was going to wing or not. 
mean what does that know? mean like i don't need like to wing i didn't so i to wing me to get my to get my aviator wings uh my golden my wings of gold for uh <clears throat> naval service i didn't know like because i'd finished and then my my grade my grade point average was low so they had to say like eh, or like you know thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> this guy you know he's yeah, I don't know if he's going to make it out there in the, the fleet or the, you know, the Marine forces. So I was kind of on pins and needles because I, you know, went kind of sat in in front of a board of colonels and lieutenant colonels and majors and tried to tell them why I should continue on. Um, so I had to do that twice, twice in my aviation career. So I was starting to like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. So people who, uh, but, people who get this far and yet don't pass that, like, I mean, they, they can't fly out, right? Or is it? Yeah. So there, so you will, you uh, can get redesignated and you'll, you'll just choose another job. Wow. So uh, I think about a third, normally a third doesn't make it to get their wings or more. Uh, yeah. Someone said today, it's like, you know, when they, when they went through flight school, the, uh, the Colonel right now, Matzik 21 Colonel uh, Bronk, he said, you know, when he checked into Matzik, he said, look to your left, look to your right. One of you is not going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of this. So selected Huey's and I was going to go to Hawaii, but all Huey, all Huey and Cobra pilots were in the same squadron, the uh, helicopter, uh, uh, Marine helicopter light attack squadron. So the HMLA um, has Huey's and Cobras. Um, so all that training gets done at Camp Pendleton, California. So I packed my bags. My wife was my girlfriend at the time. We moved out to California. Um, and I started training on the Huey. So again, how we talked about fishing like a puddle now in a pond, now in a lake, we're, we're on the verge of getting to the ocean there. So started my training again, I kind of started having some issues and that's where I honestly, I, I stopped. I was like, hang on, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bow out. I'm not meant for this job. I'm stressed out all the time. It's not for me. And that's when luckily I had some great leadership there. That was just like first Lieutenant Gornto, like chill out. You're doing fine. You got to relax. So I didn't drop my wings, but that was, that was kind of the, the culminating point there of the stress and everything else to be this, you know, perfect to get stuff, you know, to be the best. I was kind of like, I struggled in primary. I struggled in advance. I'm struggling now learning how to fly the Huey, you know, maybe this isn't for me and I can do something else. And at Um, this point from how much time would you say has passed from the moment you started officer training school until now? Oh, that, that was three years. Wow. So you go, you've gone through this incredibly difficult experience for Mm -hmm. three years and, and yet even then, like, it's no guarantee that you're going to be able to even be able to do this job. Yep. So I, you know, I, I put the, I said, no, I'm, I'm done. Um, and they kind of they called the human factors council in the military. They kind of talk like what's going on, anything else going on. And then they kind of like, Hey, you're, if we, if we, you know, they kind of was like, Hey, if we get you on a couple of flights to show you, like you're doing just fine, we get you with some, maybe some instructors that we really like and can teach a little. Cause when I, when I got there, the difference between, Naval, the uh, flight school, and when you get to your uh, fleet replacement squadron, the FRS, is you you get a ground job too. So now you're not just focused on being a student. It's kind of like now now you're now you're an intern. Hmm. You know you're still learning, but now you got a you got a you got another job to do that's not related to flying. 
So I was, uh, I was flying maybe once a week and I was getting stressed. My, my wife will tell you, she was like, I'm, man, this is where you find a, this is where you find a dedicated partner. And she'll laugh when I tell the story, but she basically told me to shut up or quit <laughs> because she was tired of hearing me complain about this. Yeah. And like, I tell the story to all my, all any student I fly with and like anyone I tell my wife, it's just like, she was like, Josh, like shut up or quit. Cause I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Like <laughs> I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> so, um, you know, and the, the wrong, I guess the wrong answer was I, I quit. I said, I'm, I'm done. Um, and the Marine Corps said, Hey, no, you're not. We'll, we'll get you back. And thank God they did. Hmm. Cause then from then on went to HMLA four, six, nine vengeance call sign was vengeance took over a few shops, uh, and shops, basically jobs there. I was in like call human affairs for a little bit, um, in charge of like a, another program involving the kind of like the flight manual and paperwork side of things of qualifications and managing that. Uh, and then to, to maintenance shop where I was in charge of Marines, multiple sections. So up to upwards of like 60 Marines and, um, some officers under my charge, you know, two deployments to Okinawa. One was aboard the USS Green Bay. So we call it Marine Expeditionary Unit U. Um, we were out, it's both in Okinawa. So you, we go out to Okinawa and both those deployments were six to seven months. Um, the first one, I was just on the island of Okinawa and we did debts to detachments to Korea and some other exercises out there. The second one, we were on the, the second deployment. I was on the Mew. So Marine Expeditionary Unit aboard a ship, shipboard ops. We were out at, at sea for about a month and a half before we came back. And those are normally sh the Muse for certain areas like East Coast squadrons and West Coast. You can go out and kind of call them floats. So you're floating out there. Uh, you go be six months. So the, the 31st Mew was the, the baby Mew, um, some call it. So we're just out there uh, on a ship doing whatever we needed to do and then um came back and then that's when i got orders here and actually i got back about a month before my my son jackson was born wow um luckily yeah they're they're kidding when i got back they're like hey you need to come back out to okinawa and i was like i'm not coming back <laughs> i'm not coming back and that was because that was when um vice president pence was going out to I think it was Australia. So they wanted to have some Marine Hueys go out there as like a quick reaction force in case something happened. So they pulled all the Hueys and they they were joking because they knew I was back and like my son was about to be born. Like, hey, you know, you gotta come back. Like all snickering. I'm like, mm -mm, nope, you're not gonna get me. So this this um, whole time also that and this is while we're going we're in Afghanistan and Iraq, sending a lot of troops, pulling troops back. Like was yep. there a lot of was there a concern that you would ever be sent out in that direction? Um, there was always the there was always the chance, and that's what we were training to do. Um, but never never got called. I think I I think I missed that window really. The uh, I was just just shy about a peer group, so about you know six about a year probably shy of actually going out to Afghanistan or Iraq and doing dirt time or desert time there. Um, and that, so I, my entire time was just going out to Okinawa. Hmm. Um, it was a beautiful place. Loved it. I yeah. want to go back, but it was super, super great. Awesome to just be out there. Very hard on the family life. Because that's know, six or luckily, seven months. You're not really seeing your wife, right? 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, luckily the cool part about Okinawa was, you know, you, you'd buy like a, you basically buy like a little Okinawan car um, and you'd be doing the same thing you do stateside, but now you're in a foreign country. So I had Wi-Fi, you know, I could FaceTime uh, my wife, Caitlin, uh, family, it's in care packages, everything. My parents learned that you can't ship baked goods because it takes a very long time. So when I when I open the box for baked goods and it's like moldy, like I think there were cookies. I'm like, hey mom, dad, you can't you can't send that. It takes a while for mail to get out here. Learned that, you know, the distance makes the heart grow fonder, you know, learning to care about the little things. So that's that's something I've seen with some some my old some some buddies growing up now and like family time is very important to me you know weekends away i'm like no i don't want to spend any more time away i spent you know while the time i was on camp pendleton i spent about a year and some change away from my wife because that was just deployments not we'd go out to 29 palms or we'd do an exercise in yuma arizona so i spent a lot of time away and that's why transitioning now back here coming so after that coming back to flight school um, I wanted these orders. I wanted to teach again. The passion I found for teaching at Jordan was what something that sparked an interest in me. And that's one reason why I wanted to have Marines and I wanted to lead and mentor was that that stint at Jordan clicked in my brain that that's something that I have to do. And that's who I, who makes who I'm made up as a person, as mm -hmm. a teacher and a mentor. And I, I love to help people that way so now, and now being you know, a, having a, having two kids because your kids are three and one is that right yeah yeah three and a half and one and a half basically how does that affect you when you think about you're doing a job that you even when you're not in active combat it's it is a dangerous job like uh does that yeah. affect the way you i just think? don't i just don't think about it yeah <laughs> i don't yeah i and uh sometimes it's always funny people tours they, they used to come my parents would come out my friends would come out to camp pendleton i take them on the flight line and to me it's just a normal thing to them you know they see 15 and 15 and 12 cobras and Hueys out there in the flight line they're like oh my god this is like the coolest thing like yeah you want to hop in it they're like what do you i can sit in it i'm like yeah what, what's the big deal <laughs> um so you kind of get habitualized to like this is just the norm right um you know, thinking about thinking about family, and that's that's part of the reason why too I'm transitioning out to the reserves. And I don't think I could I couldn't spend six months, seven months away from my kids now. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I joined, I had ambitions to be in the Marine Corps for 20 years, and that that has changed. Uh, I think my passion for serving and civil service is has is unwavering. Uh, the family time is super important. Again, having you know, talking like how, how, what's the longest, you know, coming up a conversation, like what's the longest you've spent away from your loved ones? Like, well, I spent seven months away from my wife mm. in a foreign country and it, it, it changes you. It, it changes for the, for the better, I think. Mm. So now the, your next step is, and you're telling me this on the phone the other day that, you know, you're, you're looking to do uh, army reserves, which is like once a month, you would be, you would do a week. Still Marine Corps, okay. still Marine Corps reserves. I'm not going to go to the dirty. Army. Right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I got to be careful about that here. Yeah. yeah. So don't, Marine don't reserves. Yeah. And, and then you're, uh, and so talk a little bit about what you're kind of, what you're hoping to do for the next step, kind of still using this, this flight skill set that you have. 
Yeah, so the uh, the Marine Corps Reserves has stuff for pilots. So you can basically do a weekend a month, two weeks of the year, keeping your flight currency. Um, there's also a program down here in Pensacola that has, um, it's called McRIP. So Marine Corps Reserve Instructor Pilot, where you come down to Pensacola if you're local and you just, you keep doing your job, you keep training and teaching and flying uh, students because we, we always need more pilots in, in the military. So it's, it's always going to be a job that we have, but you're not the, you don't, you don't move. You, know, you just stay here and you train, you get, you know, you're not going to deploy for this one for if you do some Marine Corps units, they still do deploy if, if they're tasked or they're called up to do that. But um, it's a way to basically keep your, you know, stay in the military, but start that transition process and that's that's what i'm looking to do now so trying to figure out the next kind of job which uh, uh interview soon with the virginia state police so hopefully that that'll go well you know my first i think we talked about it my first job interview yeah. as a four-year-old and this is, is uh, to be a, a helicopter pilot for the police right yes yep so i will be uh helicopter pilot, civilian pilot, that most police forces uh, make you become a trooper or you serve as a cop for a couple of years and then you can transition. But Maryland and Virginia is going similar to Maryland from what I've been told from some of having more civilian pilots. So uh, instead of doing that two years as a trooper, you would come in as a pilot and you're just, you're not sworn in, you're not an officer, but you fly in support of any function for the, for the state police. Well, well, good luck with, with that. I know that's a, that's exciting and scary. And, um, and on top of that, you're trying to chase around, uh, two toddlers. Uh, yes. Yes. So what, yeah. I guess, so I guess the last thing I'd ask you, um, I really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk, talk, uh, about all this. I think this is great for anybody who's interested in, wanting to be a part of the military. Um, yeah. What advice would you have if you had a, if there's this like a junior or senior at Jordan, who's interested in, in joining the Marines or going, uh, and, uh, but maybe doesn't, you know, have a tremendous amount of confidence and, uh, what would you tell them? Um, I, you know, I would, I would tell them just work, work your butt off, you know, set the goal, have something there, have a reminder, you know, and, keep, keep pushing towards your goal. In the end, if it's not for you, then you, you know, you did everything. But I, the thing that I've always fallen back on is if someone told me to stop, right. Someone says, when someone says, Hey, you're done, then that's, then I, I did my best. I'm not going to leave any doubt. Um, and I think that's something that I learned with football. I've learned with school at Jordan. I've learned through flight school is like, you can control you can control you. You can't control anything else. You can control your effort and you can control how dedicated you are to make it to your goals. So, so do it. Well, I appreciate um, it. I appreciate yeah. it. No, I, uh, I'm trying to think anything else. It, it's, it's super challenging and there's going to be times that you might quit or you might want to quit. And, you know, I think, I think anyone that's sane should have those conversations. Um, or that's just not, you know, a savant and can just learn something like, you know, like the matrix, hook it up and like, I know how to be a pilot. Um, it's a lot of hard work. Um, and there's a plan. There's always a plan. 
Um, you surround yourself with people that, that care about you and motivate you. You'll be happy with whatever outcome. Again, if I, at some point, if I didn't make it through the aviation pipeline, at least I knew I tried. That was always it. Now with the Marine Corps, eventually they're like, hey, you can't fly anymore. It's like, well, I am still a Marine. Um, so that's, that's been the great thing. And it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, you look back, you know, you look back at it and you're just like, look at all how this all lined up. You know, I went into the Marine Corps without an aviation contract. And now I've been flying for uh, just almost 10 years. Mm. So it's, it's, it's crazy. The Jordan Innovation Lab podcast is made possible by donor support. Visit us at jordaninnovationlab.com to learn more about the books, podcasts, and documentary films that make up our program. We're always looking for new ideas, and we appreciate your support.